western Kentucky where my parents were born. And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memories are warm. And daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's gold train is all the way. Well, sometimes we travel right down the Green River to the abandoned old prison down by Avery Hill. Where the air smell like snakes, we'd shoot with our pistols. But empty pop bottles was all we would kill. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River, where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's gold train is all the way. Then the coal company came with the world's largest show And they tortured the timber and stripped all the land Well, they dug for their coal till the land was forsaken Then they rolled it all down as the progress of man And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's gold train is hauled it away. When I die, let my ashes float down the green river. Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam. I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise wing just five miles away from wherever I am and daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the Green River where paradise lays well I'm sorry my son but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's gold train is all it away are you ready for the end of the world? You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle. I forgot to wake up, though. <laughs> oh, you wake up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring back the circle, the circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up! And be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to Your Community Spirit. This is Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we played that song for a reason. Yes, uh, that was uh, John Prine's song, Paradise. And you may notice he was talking about Peabody Cole uh, 
Well, they're not called Peabody Coal anymore. They're called Peabody Energy, and they're still trying to haul people's land away. Uh, they, they are going after the Shawnee right now. Uh, the Forest Service is taking uh, scoping comments on a proposal to swap 384 acres <coughs> excuse me, of the Shawnee National Forest to Peabody in order them, for them to use this as a coal strip mine. Uh, now this is, uh, basically they've got some land, uh, uh, Peabody has a subsidiary that has some land in a few places ne next to the Shawnee, including uh, an inholding in Lust Creek Wilderness. Uh, and so they're trying to make a deal where they swap the land that they have in exchange for 384 acres of the Shawnee National Forest. Uh, now there's, uh, they, they are taking comments, the Forest Service is taking comments on this. Uh, the three possible actions are to take no action, just just ignore Peabody Energy and their <laughs> effort to get this uh, uh, this coal. The other action is to uh, do the trade to give uh, Peabody Energy what they want and let them do mining on land that is currently Shawnee National Forest land. And the third option is to do a purchase deal. Uh, now it's in the in the Forest Service documents they say they have the option is to purchase all three of the pieces of land. But another option people could propose to the Forest Service would be to specifically purchase the one by Lusk Creek. Because Forest Service, unfortunately, doesn't have a ton of money to just get as many natural areas as it wants. Well, well Lusk Creek is a natural area. Yeah, You're it's not already, supposed to tear things up in there. Yeah, it's even, already a declared wilderness area. Yeah, you so. can't even drive, like, four-wheelers or, you know, camp in it. Yeah, you can pretty Yet much just you walk. Can coal mine in it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, the coal mining isn't going to be by Lusk Creek. Uh, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to use the land they have at Lusk Creek as leverage. They're going to say, well, we're only going to give you this land at Lusk Creek if you give us that land on the other side of the Shawnee that we want. And so, uh, I, I mean, this is my opinion, my opinion on what they should do. Uh, I've talked to other people about this, and I think what they should do is try to buy the land at Lusk Creek uh, from uh, Peabody. Will and, they sell it, though? Yeah, that's the question is, will they sell it? Because if they'll sell it, then... then Everybody wins, you know. Uh, the Shawnee Forest gets a new area by Lusk Creek, and uh, Peabody gets a little bit of money. Uh, no, but, but Peabody well, wants the mine. Yeah, that's the problem, though, is Peabody wants the mine. So what Peabody's probably going to say is, no, no matter how much money you offer us, we're not going to give it to you. <laughs> you we're only going to give you this land if you give us the mining. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a quandary. It's a conundrum. The, uh, we, we'll see how the comments go. It's possible some outcome like that will happen. Now, the Forest Service is having an open house on January 25th, Yeah, but we don't have information exactly where it is, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think it's at the Forest Service office in Murfreesboro, but it matters how many people they think are going to come and show up. Yeah. They've had public comments other places. If you know where the public comment place is going to be, please let us know as we get closer to January 25th. Yes, and we will keep you informed. Keeping you informed is hopefully what we try to do. If you go to OccupyUpdatesDaily.blogspot.com, as much information on the Occupy movement as I can find is the tagline. Occupy uh -huh. all the updates. Yes. And um, there's only two tidbits of news. Well, three. Um, one of them is... It was reported a group of squatters had been evicted from a renovated house. People had said that the people, these people said they were part of Occupy, but that they did not believe they were affiliated, as in the police didn't believe they were affiliated. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and today, the corporate media had actually made that decision for them, with numerous media outlets reporting that these people, quote, are linked to the Occupy satellite movement. Um, the police actually said no, but the media are ignoring them in favor of making the Occupy movement look bad. Hmm, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's part of, you know, deciding who is and is not the Occupy movement. I, I, I'm still looking forward to hearing whether or not they themselves were calling themselves Occupy. Or, well, you know, they said they, they were, but maybe that was just their defense, you know. See, see what the local Occupy has to say about it. Maybe in future news. Um, a man at the Occupy DC encampment was arrested for child cruelty after his 13-month-year-old old daughter was found alone in a tent crying by other demonstrators. Occupiers opened the tent to find the little girl alone wrapped in her blanket and called the police. It took the man a half hour to approach police saying she was actually his child. Occupiers say he is not part of the movement but has been seen frequently around the park in the past few weeks. So this guy like pretty much tried to abandon his child in, in an Occupy <laughs> movement and tent and they were like, well, and they called... I bet it was hard for them to decide whether to call the police or not. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's got to be hard, you know, because if, if, I know they've been having, uh, like almost all the occupiers have been having difficulties with the police, but then they realize that, you know, this is something that the police are actually supposed to handle. <laughs> well, what the police know how to handle, yeah, correct. It's, yeah, uh, you know, lost child, abandoned child. All right, we've got some news from uh, Oakland, too. Uh, two Oakland police officers have been punished for an incident during the general strike late last year. An officer who had covered his name tag was suspended for 30 days. I, I heard about that. Uh, he got suspended for 30 days. And his commanding officer, a lieutenant, was demoted to sergeant for not reporting the incident. During the strike, a man with a video camera asked the officer why his name was covered. And when he didn't answer, he asked the lieutenant, who immediately walked over, talked to the officer, and removed the tape. Uh, I've, I've seen that video, and I agree with the comment here that, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, I suppose it's because they didn't follow the proper process, but I think the demoting the lieutenant was actually, uh, you know, unnecessary. Because once he saw the situation, he immediately told the other officer to take off the, the name cover. But I guess he didn't follow, he's, he was apparently supposed to report that officer for covering his name, and he didn't do that. I got it, yeah. I mean, the lieutenant didn't report the officer for covering his name. Yeah. But probably, there was so much else to report. Yeah. You know, that one I instant wasn't, you know, yeah. foremost in his mind. Hopefully but they gave him a fair, you know, hearing and said, you know, why didn't you report this, you know. <laughs> but I guess it's one of those things where... But that's, it's protocol. I mean, yeah, it's protocol. And police cannot cover their names. So, yeah. I mean... And, if, and, you know, police are... It's extremely important for them to maintain some of their protocols. So if he didn't report a misbehavior of one of his officers, then maybe that's why they demoted him. Yeah. It, it, it is good to see that they take it very seriously when the officers are hiding their identity while doing public duties. All right, back to the regular scheduled news. Hmm. <laughs> the Consumer Electronics Show is like one of the biggest shows for the new gadgets out there. I have yet to make it to it, but I get lots of interesting reports. And the report from this year's show is the ability to print your own things. Mm, yeah. Not paper, 
but actual objects. Yeah, 3D printing. 3D printing. The, this printer costs about $1,200, and you come with, a, for $50, you get a printer cartridge. It's not ink. It's plastic. And so they melt the plastic, and they spray it on a 3D object, you know, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this product is actually primarily designed for kids. But they said anybody can upload a design to the website, and then the artist actually gets 60% of whatever. So if they charge $10, the artist gets $6 of, you know, wh- whoever buys the, the design. <laughs> yeah. The majority of designs currently are toys. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's for kids to, I mean, the idea is for kids to be creative, design their own toy, uh-huh. make it available to the public, and, you know, maybe make a little money off it. But the idea is you as a kid, imagine this. Has, when you were a kid, did you want to design your own toy or <laughs> did you have an idea in your mind yeah. of a toy that you would like to play with? Well, now you can, like, design it upload it and you know print it out in 3d <laughs> yeah the limitation of this printer is it only can be 5.5 inches tall uh, okay now if it's bigger you email it to the company they print it out and mail it back to you for an additional cost of course yeah <laughs> so you can do bigger items yeah well that's but- exciting and if it's like the 3d printer i've seen uh you may be able to do uh you know moving parts as well like because it's because it's th- basically it's it's printing this in layers. Like each layer it goes, it puts like a hardening substance that uh, turns the plastic hard instead of being you know soft. And so uh, you can do intricate like sort of moving parts on it too. Well, I've seen a video of someone making a crescent wrench. Yeah, you know, adjustable. <laughs> adjustable. Crescent's a brand. Dang it! <laughs> yeah. I always try to keep myself from saying brands. Yeah. Like it's not Kleenex. It's tissue paper. Yeah. It's not a crescent. It's an adjustable wrench. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen them print out, like, literally a big adjustable wrench, like a foot-long adjustable wrench. Yeah. And that worked. Yeah, it worked. They used it to tighten a bolt. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, um, of course, it's plastic, so it's not going to last forever. But, you know, imagine if you're a, a mechanic on the space station. Yeah. And you need a wrench, <laughs> you know. For, you can use it once, and then you could... Well, hopefully, I wonder if you can toss that plastic back into a recycling bin and reuse it. Uh, yeah, I wonder. Currently, probably not. Yeah, that's probably one of the goals of the technology, though. Right. But um, in this one, I doubt it's moving parts because it's, you It know, sounds like it's smaller and simpler, so right. it might not it's, be. Well, it's $1,300 printer yeah. versus the ten to $12,000 printers that actually I have seen one in operation at a college. Yeah. And I want to say it was like twelve thousand dollars for that that printer, so they could, <laughs> yeah. you know make moving parts. So yeah, but even so, it's exciting technology. We're living in the future, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, like I like to joke about how we're living in the future when any of this new technology comes out. We're not quite at the level where I can walk up to the wall and <coughs> say, "Tea, Earl Grey, hot," and a little cup of tea will appear for me. But uh, we're gonna. Have get you ever there seen soon. the the the, <laughs> the cappuccino machines at truck stops? I don't think so, no. Yeah, they have it that literally, you know, it must be little, like little canisters of powder because you do that. You hit a button, yeah. you put your cup under there, and it mixes the hot water with the powder, I <laughs> guess, and it comes out, Yeah. A, you know, a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of cappuccino. Yeah. So I couldn't see why they couldn't do tea. <laughs> they would just have to make it voice-operated, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so 
And they couldn't do it yet with a 3D printer because you don't want to be drinking plastic tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, once. <laughs> so. Meeting halfway. Meeting is spelled like meat, as in meat that some people eat. I was going to say that you eat. Yeah, meat, <laughs> meat that some people eat. The meat on your bones. So, in a New York Times op-ed, Mark Bittman flagged the story from the Daily Livestock Reports that notes that the USDA is now projecting that U.S. meat consumption will continue to drop representing a 12% decrease from 2007. While American beef consumption has been dropping for some time, the story says chicken and pork are now suffering a similar fate. The Daily Livestock Report, a trade paper, pins the blame on rising feed prices, probably primarily because of ethanol, because, you know, that's how a lot of ethanol is made now with corn. Yeah. And then growing exports, which reduce domestic supply, and remarkably, the fruitation, quote, of 30 to 40 years of government policy. The paper continues, if the federal governments and agencies decide to wage war on a product and continue that war for long enough, it will eventually have an impact. Now, in this op-ed, mm-hmm. Bittman rightly considers this claim as ludicrous. As he pointed out, the government is actually doing everything it can to boost meat consumption, from refusing to enforce laws that would make it harder for factory farms to operate on the scale they do, to purchasing billions of dollars of, quote, surplus chicken to feed school children. And then, of course, the proposed ag-gag laws of last year, the government attempts to keep prying eyes away from the abuses that appear to be epidemic to industrial agriculture. Yeah. Now, isn't that an oxymoron? Industrial agriculture. <laughs> Not these days. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's why they come up with terms like, you know, factory farm, and because they're basically applying these mass scale, like, industrial practices to making food. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind that you can go into a restaurant and buy a meat dish for cheaper or the same price as a vegetable dish. Yeah, you can tell something something screwy is going on there because the you know the energy cost and the ecological cost of meat you know is higher. You know, not even saying you know that people shouldn't eat meat. Just speaking from a purely you know scientific point of view on the food chain, you know the uh, you have to feed vegetables <laughs> to an animal. Yeah, and then slaughter that animal and process the animal and then transport it. Yeah, well, you have to transport vegetables. There's too. like a factor of ten each step you go up that ladder. You know. Yeah, I mean. Um, I forget how many hundreds of pounds of grain it takes to make one pound of beef. And so, um, I really, I mean, I grew up vegetarian, but I really enjoy meat. Um, and it always frustrates me that I have to spend more or, or the same to get the dish without the meat. Uh, yeah. So if I go into a place and literally I order the same dish without the meat, you would think it would be cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> but no, vegetables currently cost more than meat. Yeah. And so for them to add more meat to the same type of dish, I mean, add, add more, more vegetables <laughs> to the same type of dish costs the restaurant more. Yeah. And that shouldn't be the case. It always should be cheaper to buy vegetables than to buy meat. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's one of those uh, distortions that uh, subsidies and other uh, uh, actions by the government can put on the market. You know, because uh, the the amount of energy versus you know the, the amount of money they're putting into things. <laughs> If you would like to read the complete article, um, you must receive our newsletter or at least have me email you this. Um, and then we also have stuff on here that we don't talk about on the air because we don't either have the time or it's hard to talk about a video. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll joke and describe, you know, I wish I could beam this through the radio waves to you, but... Uh, uh, but no, it's it, it's pretty hard to get video over radio signals, uh, at least this this frequency of radio signal anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you think you could live without money? <laughs> uh, depends on where I was living. I've tried to live without money. It's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, this lady, if I remember right, I think it was 16 years so far. Oh, would this be Heidi Marie Schwermer? You're talking about? Yeah. I think I've heard of that lady. Can we all join grandmother Heidi Marie Shermer in living without m money? <laughs> yeah, living without money. It sounds so carefree, as long as you consider that it is a voluntary situation rather than abject poverty. Testimony of Heidi Marie Schwermer, the 69-year-old grandmother of three, who claims she's lived without a single unit of currency passing through her hands in the past 16 years. So she didn't even say money. A single unit of currency. currency. Yeah. So that means no credit cards, <laughs> no checks. Yeah. Yeah. So what other forms of currency are there? But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technically, couldn't you say barter, though, is a form of currency? Um, it's not a currency, because barter, you've got to have, like, I mean, currency, you've got to have, like, numeric values involved. Got it. Like, if you decided that, uh, I don't know, if you decided that apples were your currency, and each apple was one point, you know, then that would be a currency. Yeah, there actually is some island that stones are currency, because they have no stones on their island at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've heard that cacao beans used to be currency as well. Ooh. Uh, which is exciting, but it would be dangerous for me, because I would eat all my money. <laughs> So, okay, uh, so yeah, uh, so she's uh, uh, they're exploring her experience in a documentary called "Living Without Money." Uh, after successfully starting a swap shop called uh, "Gib und Nim," uh, give and take, to help people in the depressed economic trade, uh, the, to, excuse me, to help people in the depressed economy trade possessions or skills for things they need, uh, Schwimmer decided to try living without money for one year as an experiment. One year grew into a decade, and now the lifestyle is closer to two decades uh, long. Uh, whoops. Oh, there we go. So she's basically, uh, this through this uh, swap shop, uh, she's trading her skills doing small jobs and uh, her presumably very enjoyable company in exchange for housing, food, and everything she needs in life. Uh, it appears that those skills even include juggling, a standby uh, for people wandering in Europe in hopes of a bit of support and a great touring experience. Uh, but the irony of her lifestyle is that it relies on the charity of people who do have money and time, room, or food to spare. Uh, if we all jumped on the off, if we all jumped off the money bandwagon, who would be left to send us tickets so we could travel without cash to spend some time in their company? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, uh, you know, sometimes it seems like an alternative economy that, you know, couldn't necessarily exist within uh, ev with everybody doing it unless literally everybody did it. 
And she does have a book. Um, it is actually for free, but it's in German. Yeah. So, um, free book if you learn German. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> or if you already know German. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest part is, you know, she is figuring out ways to live with less. Yeah. On purpose. With less stuff, she found more space for joy, for learning, and for opening herself up to relationships. I mean, that's part of it is, you know, if you can find someone who needs um, a, a cooked meal. I mean, you know how many, how many hardworking electricians and plumbers would love to have, you know, once a week a cooked meal. Yeah. Huh. So she probably has, you know, some, you know, electrician who can come by and fix her electrical stuff. Yeah. In exchange for, you know, the, the next two couple months, <laughs> she cooks him a meal every week. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? You know, now she has company for dinner and, you know, I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. But, she know. could even do, you know, like, I'll come and cook you a really fancy meal if you just let me have a plate of it, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I've done that before where I said, if you, well, I enjoy cooking with people. Yeah. And so I've said that before. Um, you, you make some kind of food I like. You know, right now I'm trying to convince this um, Taiwanese guy that I've tasted his food. I'm like, if if I cook, if I buy the stuff, will you cook with me? And so, yeah, you know, that, that would be really fun to you know learn. I mean, I've only had Taiwanese food once. Yeah, and to you know learn a little bit more of a different type of food, you know, from the person who knows how to cook it. For yeah, me would be phenomenal. And that's great because everybody wins in that kind of deal. Yeah. So today is Friday the thirteenth. Dun dun dun. And I have no idea why people say <laughs> it's bad luck. See, I think it's good luck because I I say there are thirteen moons in a year, and I like the moon. So uh. that's why <laughs> they have made the lunar pagan rituals. Yeah, I tend to think it's moon hating. You know. There you go. I sometimes jump to conclusions about such things. I probably should look it up why people don't like the number 13. I've looked it up at some point. There's, there's various explanations. I don't remember if they really decided on one or not. My, my one is that I think they're, they're hating on the moon. <laughs> but uh, I, I like the moon, so I think 13 is a lucky number. Uh, and I, I think Friday the 13th can be a lucky day. It's all about what attitude you take to the day. Well, everybody gets to listen to us. That's pretty lucky. Uh, yeah, it's a good start to your day. In Russia, today is the old New Year's Eve, and it's Liberation Day in Tongo. Tago? I said almost said Tongo. Tago. <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, Sunday is Humanitarian Day. Uh, if you've been inhumane on all of the other days of the year, uh, on Sunday you get to be humanitarian and be nice to people. It's also the uh, birthday of Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, we're celebrating the birthday on Monday, but his actual birthday is uh, the 15th. Um, Monday is Appreciated Dragon Day, Religious Freedom Day, and World Religion Day, and National Nothing Day. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Tuesday is Kid Inventors Day. I like this. Uh, it's a day that uh, you celebrate kids who have invented things, and there are a lot of them out there. You'd be surprised. Uh, there's also uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, let's see. Oh, the birthday of Benjamin Franklin, the statesman. Wednesday is Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day. And Thursday is Tubishvat, the Jewish holiday that um, kind of, I think, celebrates trees as part of it. It's like, now, 
I need to. Yeah, well, Thursday you can do your research on it. And, <laughs> but, <laughs> and um, Thursday is also the birthday of Edgar Allan Poe. There you go. Now, before we run out of time, we need to get a, a couple happenings. Um, today is the first day of uh, the beginning of the Rice and Spice International Slow Food Dinner Series. Rice and Spice 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight is a Bollywood salsa party because two people from India and one from America who likes the salsa dance are going to have have birthdays this week. And then um, the midnight movie yes, show. midnight movie showing at the IMC. Uh, showing will take place after the uh, soft opening, Owls and Crows, the Alex Colombo show. Uh, this is all at the IMC on uh, on today, the lucky Friday the 13th. Uh, the Freaks... Uh, from 1932, The Invocation of My Demon Brother from 1969, uh, Kitchen Sink from 1989, uh, Two Shorts, One Feature, uh, Friday the 13th. They're going to have a freaky time over there at the IMC tonight. And then um, on Sunday from 4 to 5.30 p.m., the Community Gospel Choir for MLK Jr. celebrates. The performance starts at 4 o'clock at the Carbondale Civic Center. This is a great opportunity to lift your spirit and take a step towards building a community to make Dr. King's dream real. Yes. <laughs> uh, we got another one here. Uh, the uh, Evening of Sacred Chanting, uh, Kirtan. Uh, this is a rare event coming to 101 Yoga uh, at uh, 101 Graham in Carbondale. Uh, Kirtan with uh, Sherry Summers, Bradford Smith, and Ramloti. Uh, this is uh, Bhakti Yoga Chanting. It's song and chanting. Uh, it's a uh, uh, traveling tour that is stopping in Carbondale. So that's 7 to 9 p.m. on Monday, January 16th at 101 Yoga. And I almost skipped Saturday, noon to 1 p.m., the Vigil for Peace. Friends and members of the Peace Coalition will protest the 10 years of Guantanamo Bay Prison this Saturday at the Town Square at noon. Yes. This has been, hopefully... Another exciting and informative half hour of your community spirit. We'll see you again on the radio. Yes, next week on the radio.